Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Uh, we are so grateful that uh, the true and living God uh, has allowed us to participate in this ministry, and may He be with you and us tonight. Uh, we, are, we, we, we practice that, but our camera operator... Uh, had too much quinoa this afternoon, and so we have uh, here the Masters College kids up here with uh, Utah Partnerships for Christ, Russ East Group, which does so much for the body here in Utah and helping teach people. What's been going on? This is Joshua. What's been happening, Joshua? Yeah, so like Sean said, we're here from the Masters College, and our mission statement there is for Christ and Scripture, and we believe that Scripture is the Bible. And while most people are spending their spring breaks out going the other way to California, um, this, this group has decided that we're going to come out to Utah to share the true gospel of Jesus Christ for the, the glory of God the Father. Amen. Round of applause. And is there anything else that you would like to say? Not of works, lest any man should boast. Their collective inhale before they did it, my hair actually pulled back further than it already already is. <laughs> You guys, thanks for being here. We appreciate the work you're doing here in Utah for the body of Christ. Thanks. Thank you Watch much, your Sean. steps, you guys. Thank you. Sundays, we hold a Bible-centered church. 10 a.m., we call milk. 2.30, we call meat. Join us. Go to www.campus with hyphens in between. Should be a graphic for more information. One of the things that makes campus unique is our music. Uh, no, it's not hyper-appealing in the Christian worship sense. Uh, but it is the Word of God put to music as a means to bring the Word into the forefront of those who come's mind. Uh, it's a great way to learn the Word of God, and those songs reverberate in your mind after you sing them and worship to them. Now, we supply a CD to people who come to campus so they can put those in their cars and listen to them, but we also want to make uh, this uh, CD that we use, 17 songs of the Scripture put to music, available to you as well, so take a listen. Oh uh-huh. 
Again, we have that CD available in his words, and uh, you can go to our, our website, our new shopping cart, totally laid out website at www.hotm.tv. Also on Sundays, 1 p.m., Heart of the Matter replays on AM 820, The Truth. Uh, love that station all week long, but tune in on Sundays 1 to 2, and you can hear replays of this program. A couple of things I'd like to quickly highlight tonight. First, we have produced three books for your reading enjoyment. I am personally proud of them uh, as they relate to the Mormon topic. The first one is I was a born again Mormon. You're familiar with this one. It started off as born again Mormon and everybody got upset. So we added I was to it. And uh, it looks like that you can get this at the new web at the new shopping cart on the website. And then we have, this is my personal favorite. It's called if my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would fight. And it's a, uh, it's a believer's refusal to join popular Christian culture. And I love this. This is my personal favorite of the books that we've produced because it uh, is, tells our heart about the current situation of the church and how we've lost sight of what uh, it's all about. And then we have what's supposed to be our finest work because we had it totally done professionally and laid out and done right and edited up and everything else. And that is where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face to face. 640 pages long, even illustrated, so to speak, and uh, hardback, dust cover. So uh, check those out at the website if you're interested in getting something like that. 
HOTM.TV, you know, uh, in the spirit of offering these books to our growing audience, uh, it involves kind of a sales pitch to you, as you've seen. And uh, I've had a number of people asking me about our finances relative to this summer tour that's coming up. Um, let me explain how our ministry operates, and we have operated this way from the get-go. First, we find ourselves impressed with an idea to write a book or establish a new website or or do a new show or a tour, whatever. We ponder the thing, we pray about it, uh, we wait, we watch, we see if the desire remains. If we're still inclined, then we set forth to put the idea into action. And uh, I mean, we start off on that. I've, I've started and have outlined probably 80 books over the past 10 years. And from those 80, we have three that have come forward, but we push forward in that manner. If God blesses the initial action by opening the doors and preparing a way, uh, and the action kind of flows, then we'll continue to pursue it. If it becomes cumbersome or we're kind of at odds with it, or it doesn't come about naturally, then we shelve it no matter what it is. And now most people do things differently. They get their funds together first, and then they plan everything out, and they have all these strategic planning meetings, etc. But uh, that's not how we do it, even with the tour. So when people ask me, how much is this tour running you, or you guys must really be in the chips to travel all over those places in the summer, uh, that's not how it's gone. The notion came to our heart. We prayed. We've taken steps. We tested the water. We did not have one dime set aside uh, for this tour, and uh, we uh, have not had any appointments set up in advance for this tour. And we live by faith. We trust in him. We insist on doing things by this model. If the national tour... Uh, continues on and we don't have appointments set, we won't do it if we don't have the funds to do it. And it's not saying it's incumbent on you, God will provide. So we just, that's how we have done everything. And in the things that are supposed to be, they come forward to fruition, the funds come in, the books get done, we get them ready, the sites get built, and the tour will go on. Now we've had quite a bit of response from people all over the nation saying, hey, we're gonna take this information out to the churches. So we anticipate we're going to be able to visit a lot of places in the nation this summer and share what's going on. Um, if you're inclined, grab a paper and a pen and take note when we will be in your part of the country with this exciting ad. Welcome back after that peaceful piece of music. Uh, 
Couple more things. We traveled the Wasatch Front last Saturday and we're blessed to participate in a number of open water baptisms. At the end, it was 14, I believe. Uh, we also had a chance to meet up with uh, members of the body of Christ, many of who, who didn't even know who was being baptized, just showed up to these locations and said, we want to watch people come into the body of Christ. With the exception of one individual, everyone who was baptized had at one time or another been a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or the Mormons. All had come to a saving faith in Christ and Christ alone. From Logan that morning all the way down to Provo that night, we were able to see people uh, at every location profess their faith in the Lord and submit to water baptism as an outward symbol of an inward faith. We're so grateful for the fast-growing Alpine Church in Logan and Pastor Chad for his hospitality. If you live in Cache Valley, uh, check out Alpine Church, and I think we have its address there on the screen. The Alpine Church in Riverdale uh, was made available to us as well. This is the second or third year they've opened up their church to us. We thank Pastor Bill for his open-door policy and supporting the body. If you live in the Riverdale area, give Alpine Riverdale a try. They're located at that address on the screen. Here in Salt Lake City, the church at Liberty Park, pastored by Dave Springer, was more than hospitable with the pastor setting up ambient music, overhead slides, and a font full of water. Six people were baptized there. They're located at that address on the screen. And the end uh, of the day, we utilize the facilities at Provo Baptist Church, uh, led by Pastor Neil. We recommend anybody in Utah Valley checking out what's going on at Provo Baptist Church, checking out what's going on at the church at Liberty Park. Now, some of you at this point might be saying, you know, Sean only recommends churches that support him and his ministry. And I've got news for you. You're absolutely right. Um, <laughs> but it's not for the reasons that you might think, okay? Uh, we believe that uh, in the body, everyone ought to support anyone uh, who is a believer, whether we with, agree with them completely on points of doctrine or methodology or not. When a church is willing to open up and help support a brother or a ministry who they don't even entirely agree with or resonate to like ours, uh, that is a church we feel very comfortable in recommending because it's a church that cares about the weightier issues and not the minutia. Uh, notice that the pastors of these specific churches didn't try and take ownership of the baptisms. They didn't require names of those who were baptized, nor did they require a single penny from us to be able to use their facilities. Notice that we did not need uh, to belong to a little group or a special ministry or denomination to use their facilities either. I am only personally friends with one of those pastors and, and don't really know the others, uh, so it wasn't a buddy deal between us either. Um, and none of us have said, hey, will you highlight our church on the air? It's not this quid pro quo thing among the body with these types of churches. And um, so do we endorse and promote churches who are friendly and open like this? Absolutely. Good Shepherd Lutheran, Sandy Ridge, uh, Calvary Chapel Salt Lake and Calvary Chapel Cedar City even, and Center Point and Orem, as well as these other four that I just mentioned, because they are willing you see, if they treat a controversial member of the body this lovingly and openly, uh, they're going to treat controversial and imperfect people the same way. And that's why we recommend the people who, recommend, who uh, support us in the ministry. Life's too far short to uh, be cliquish or an elitist or have an exclusionary mentality when it comes to the body of Christ. If you have never heard of your church mentioned here on Heart, ask your leadership why, not me. All right. Um, since I'm on my soapbox tonight, let me say one more thing that ought to be apparent. 
uh, to Latter-day Saints out there, but for some reason it seems to escape them. I know that our traveling up and down the Wasatch Front and baptizing people who were once LDS into the body of Christ is repugnant to Latter-day Saints, but you need to reflect upon your attitude. For starters, you claim today that you're Christian or at least a segment of Christianity. If this is the case, why do you get angry that we are bringing people out of your denomination and into a direct non-denominational relationship with Jesus Christ? Notice that the, all the other pastors from all these other churches never worried about who people were or what church they would attend after they were baptized or any of that. How come? Because all of those men of God know that it's the relationship these people have with Jesus and not the religious expression or denomination they embrace afterward. But you see, Latter-day Saints, you don't believe this. You think someone has to be a Mormon, not a, not a member of another Christian church. You believe they have to be a Mormon, that you are the only true church, that you are the only one who has the right and authority to baptize anybody on earth in the name of Christ. You can argue that this is not true if you want in your your heart, but we can show you the doctrine and teachings that prove it. Also, you and your missionaries have no problem going into the homes along the Wasatch Front of Christian believers or people who have fallen away from evangelical Christianity or, or Catholicism, and your missionaries have no problem going in there and telling them, you belong to the false church anyway. You need to become a Mormon to get to live with uh, God after this life. And so you get angry and repulsed and send us emails telling us what we're, we're doing something evil by getting people uh, to leave Mormonism, but you do the very same thing 24-7 all over the world. The onus of this falls completely on your back, not ours. See, we don't care where a person chooses to worship so long as they are worshiping God in spirit and in truth. You say people must, must, must be Mormon to live with Heavenly Father after this life. And this is just one reason, one, why Mormonism is not Christian and not part of the body. And with that, (coughs) sorry, sound people, let's have a word of prayer. Father God, we pray you will be with us as we sort through all this information. We pray you'll be with those who call in our audience here, wherever they may be in TV land, that you will open our eyes and ears to your truth. Forgive me when I'm wrong. Help me with uh, my attitude when people make me angry. And uh, let us just uh, try to uh, establish truth in peace and love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We've touched on some things that would cause anyone who opens an original copy of the Book of Mormon to go, what? Uh, Tonight, we're going to step back to the space and time where Joseph Smith has just finished the translation and is now looking to get the book printed. Joseph Smith has a few problems he has to fix before the book can get published. Because of his storytelling and other circumstances, he had to cover his tracks on some things. If Joseph Smith was anything, he was a guy who, in God's name, would pursue and blaze a trail, and then when he found out, oops, I've made a mistake, He would go back and blaze another trail, bringing people with him, and then send someone or himself to cover his tracks on the first trail that he started to go up that he said God was behind. So first, Joseph had to address the possibility that the first 116 pages that were stolen from Martin Harris in the Book of Mormon would not pop back up. Why? Because they could take those first 116 pages, they could see the new Book of Mormon translation that came out, make a comparison and prove that Joseph did not translate from literal gold plates, but instead did an extemporaneous narrative from his mind using some notes to create his Book of Mormon. So what did Joseph do? 
He included the following, which was only included in the first edition of the Book of Mormon. It's a preface. Now observe some things about this quote that you're going to read. First, listen to the way Joseph composes this preface. It sounds just like it belongs in the Book of Mormon, but it's merely Joseph explaining something about the lost 116 pages. Additionally, why does Joseph, when he's providing this preface and explanation, speak in King's English? Why does he use ye when it's just him providing a preface? Okay? And then also look at how he signs this preface that was included in the first edition. Okay, so you ready? Here's a word-for-word preface that was included in the first edition of every Book of Mormon. Ready? Here we go. Quote, as many false reports have been circulating respecting the following work, and also many unlawful measures taken by evil designing persons to destroy me, and also the work, I would inform you that I translated by the gift and power of God and caused to be written 116 pages, the which I took from the book of Lehi, which was an account abridged from the plates of Lehi by the hand of Mormon, which said account some person or persons have stolen from me, notwithstanding my utmost exertions to recover it again. And being commanded of the Lord that I should not translate the same over again, for Satan hath put it in their hearts to tempt the Lord their God by altering the words, that they did read contrary from that which I translated and caused to be written. And if I should translate the same over again, they would publish that which had been stolen, and Satan would stir up the hearts of this generation, that they might not receive this work. But behold, the Lord said unto me, I will not suffer that Satan shall accomplish his evil designs in this thing. Therefore thou shalt translate from the plates of Nephi until you come to that which you have translated, which ye have retained. And behold, you shall publish it as a record of Nephi, and thus I will confound those who have altered my words. I will not suffer that they shall destroy my work. Yea, I will show unto them that my wisdom is greater than the cunning of the devil. Wherefore, be obedient unto the commandments of God. I have, through this grace and mercy, accomplished the thing he hath commanded me respecting this thing. I would also inform you that the plates of which I have spoken were found in the township of Manchester, Ontario County, New York. The author. The author. The author, Joseph Smith, put that in the first edition of his Book of Mormon. According to this, and you got to understand what he was saying in all that convoluted language, Joseph said, this is what is going to happen. God told him, you translated 116 pages and they were stolen, Joseph. Don't go back and retranslate those same 116 pages. And this is why. The people who took them are going to alter them. And so when you come back, having retranslated those same pages again, they're going to take that altered 116 pages and they're going to say, look, let's compare the two. They don't match up. Joseph Smith is a liar. He didn't translate these from a uh, set of plates. Here's the problem with this. Um, It was 1829. The best somebody could do with ink written words on it, pages, the 116 pages, what could they do? Could they white out words and rewrite? Could they alter Joseph's writing on those words and then show? It would be obvious that someone tried to change those first 116 pages. But Joseph had to come up with an explanation as to why he altered the introduction uh, so radically from the first 116 pages that came out. It was actually him who was pulling the con. 
He was pulling the con on the people who supposedly took the pages. God, there was no way. Unless somebody sat down and tried to replicate Joseph's handwriting for 116 pages, and, and then, or, or the scribe's handwriting, and bring it forward and say, this was the original 116 pages. Look what a farce they are compared to. It just doesn't make any sense. You've got to think about it, though. You have to say, why would he be afraid someone would take those first 116 pages? Why would he be afraid they would alter them in 1829? You couldn't alter them. It would be like writing margin notes. You get it? Okay. His next obstacle to overcome was a bit uh, going to take a bit more manipulation and planning. In order to give his Book of Mormon authenticity, Joseph knew he had to somehow prove there was really golden plates. Had he gone to print and nobody else supposedly seen the gold plates, a uh, few people would have accepted the story that the book came from ancient origins. In other words, he needed corroborating witnesses to give his book legs. Now, I strongly suggest there were never any golden plates. However, there could have been some tin plates Joseph made up. His father had a cooper shop. That's a barrel-making shop, and they would use tin snips to make barrel uh, steel strips to go around to hold the uh, barrels in place. So they would use metal there, and I would be willing to bet that Joseph concocted some plates that rattled and had some weight to them out of tin and kept them hidden from people. To ensure that nobody would try and get a sneak peek at these manufactured tin plates as they rested underneath pieces of cloth and stuff, he said that uh, God told him God would strike anyone dead who looked upon them without permission. That's a quote. In the backwooded environs of religious hyperbole, uh, which surrounded Joseph Smith and his family, the warning of an immediate God smack was enough to keep people from peeking under and seeing what those plates were really made of. Uh, it kept his own wife away from doing it. Nevertheless, a number of people did say, hey, we have lifted up the box the plates, is, the plates were supposed to be in, and, uh, and they weighed somewhere between 60, uh, 30 to 60 pounds, uh, not realizing that if they were gold plates, they would weigh somewhere between 160 and 200 pounds. Uh, so there was probably big boulders, maybe the plates in there with it to make it seem like it was very heavy, but still it didn't weigh as much as gold would weigh. In any case, the set of dummy plates around his, uh, were around, and his wife said she heard them rattle once, and other people said they hefted them. But if nobody actually saw these gold plates, Joseph claimed that he translated from, um, there would be too many potential converts lost, and he needed to have it authenticated by witnesses. So he pulled from his experience in scrying, in looking at peep stones to find buried treasure and proclaiming to see spirits under the ground that would protect this treasure. He pulled from that experience, knowing the value of having other people say, yeah, there was spirits down there under the ground when Joseph was looking. There was. And when you get a witness to corroborate what you're saying, boy, it really adds to the whole story. So where did he get his witnesses? As we've said before on the show, if Joseph was really concerned about the Book of Mormon being authenticated as real, he would have gone out into the community and pulled from the astute and upstanding men and women of his day, the judges and the physicians and the landowners and the educators. He would have said, you are third parties who don't, never met me before. Come, see these plates. But that's not who Joseph recruited. Instead, he pulled all of his witnesses from his own family, and from a family that shared in the Smith magical worldview. 
the Whitmers. And he used them not only to prop up the plate story, but to convince one man, not a member of these two families, that these plates were real. Going back to an earlier discussion that we had of the witnesses, you might remember I strongly suggested that the Smith family and the Whitmer family were in cahoots and they needed a mark. They needed somebody to con who uh, possessed in equal amounts money and religious tomfoolery. They had to be somebody who had access to money and had to be kind of a spiritual wacko. Well, Joseph found him in a local man named Martin Harris who was uh, rich and he was a spiritual spastic. And so the Smith uh, devised two family teams to come together, the Whitmers, all witnesses, the Smiths, all witnesses, and to con Mr. Harris so that they would get, he would give money so that they could then print this Book of Mormon up. Without Martin Harris being present on the list of witnesses, the teams of Joseph witnesses look like this. So here are the three witnesses, Oliver Cowdery, who is a cousin to the Smiths, and David Whitmer. The only one who would also be on there would be Martin Harris, but there's the two families represented in the three witnesses. And then they had eight witnesses, uh, Joseph Smith Sr., Hiram Smith, Samuel Smith, and then we have from the Whitmer family, Christian Whitmer, Jacob Whitmer, Peter Whitmer, John Whitmer, and Hiram Page, who was married to one of the Whitmer sisters. These are the great witnesses of the Book of Mormon. Two families get together and they say, we are going to claim to have seen these plates and we're going to convince Martin Harris uh, that uh, they were there as well. Next week, we're going to talk about how they influenced Martin, how he never saw the plates. He gave testimony later. He never saw the plates. How he and, and Oliver and David Whitmer all left the church and how you, you would never leave the church if you actually saw those golden plates. You would never do it, but they did. Uh, and the LDS say, well, some of them came back. We'll talk about that as well. So uh, let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. Listen, LDS callers only. Only LDS callers because I have so much information to cover tonight, and we just want to reach to those people who might be seeking. Um, First-time callers only. Uh, and our ability to remain a viable ministry and to continue on the air is directly related to your support, whether it be prayer, financial support, sharing the ministry with other people like other churches for our summer tour, or volunteering. May the Lord guide you on how and if you should proceed. Check this out. Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is teaching is supposed to be done. Where He's Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face to face. And I'm your host, Sean McGee. Hello, Sean, and all my Christian friends in America. Uh, my name is Francesco Mendola, and I'm from a town called Pordenone, which is uh, 45 minutes from Venice, Italy. Hi, my name is Jesper. I am 19 years old, 
and I am from Sean's second best country in the world, that is Sweden. Hi Sean, and everyone else there at Lafayette Ministries. This is Philip Mark Trivet calling from Cracknell, a town just outside London. I'm a former LDS, as you probably imagined, and um, I joined the Mormon Church when I was 16 years old. Um, thinking that I was doing uh, the right thing. After many years in the Mormon Church, I realized that the Jesus I was following uh, was a different one. And I, uh, and I find out that uh, I was far away from, uh, from Him. Um, but thanks to Heart of the Matter, I discovered the real Jesus. A Jesus that uh, uh, saves us by grace. And God has really blessed me through Alephian Ministries to help me understand God's Word, how to see things from a new Christian perspective, uh, mostly from Heart of the Matter, but also from his two books. And uh, also how I can share the good news of Jesus with Latter-day Saints. And I want to say uh, how much of a blessing, a real blessing, that Heart of the Matter has been to me as a, a Christian who wants to reach out to people of other, other beliefs. I started to trust the Bible again. I started to trust Jesus and, uh, and God. I just want to say thank you very much for all your hard work you've been doing. I've been watching the show since uh, 2008 and um, love it. Love it every, every week I tune in to see the archives. I just want to say thank you, Sean, for doing this, for doing what you're doing. Please keep doing it, because he's changing a lot of people. And hey, continue doing what you're doing. It's a great job. Sean McCraney, or my Faja, always loved me. I know he shared uh, my story with his ministry and those that followed him, and from that came a lot of prayer for me. And from those prayers, somehow, along the way, I came to know God. I came to understand that I need Christ as my Savior fully, every day, every second. I praise Him for my dad and his ministry and all those prayers. We have Debbie from Salt Lake City. She's LDS. Debbie, you're on the air. Hey. Hey. A good, we're not Mormons. We're the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and we believe in Christ. And what you put on your TV tonight is a bunch of bull. I don't know where you got it at, but you didn't give it out the Book of Mormon. Uh, Debbie, Debbie. What? How come, you, how come your church calls itself the Mormon Tabernacle Choir? Because it was named after the guy that wrote the Book of Mormon. But our church is called the Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I know, but they use the word Mormon, don't they? Yeah, they use it, but that's not my point. My point is, is what you say that's in that Book of Mormon is not in there. I don't know where you get your information at. Okay, what did I say tonight that was in the Book of Mormon that's not in there? All of it. And I'll challenge you to it. Well, you challenged me, but Debbie, we didn't even talk about the contents of the Book of Mormon tonight. Well, what you said about things isn't so. 
because I've been listening to you, and my husband's right here, and hey, we believe in Jesus Christ. Well, I'm not, I never said you didn't believe in a Jesus Christ, but your own prophet, Gordon B. Hinckley, said you do not believe in the traditional Christ. You do not believe in him. Gordon B. Hinckley said that. Now, what did he mean by that, Debbie? Because well, I know what you've been putting on your TV. You can't hey, I'm give. Sorry. But you can't give me any examples. You can just come on and say, you know, I give you recitations. I show you where it's at. We give you, uh, we give you uh, graphics. Uh, I, I mean, no one ever calls me and says, this is a lie and here it is. All they say is, you are lying. You are deceptive. I've done my homework. But Debbie, I got to tell you, you haven't, honey. You just haven't. I was Mormon 40 years. I'm her husband. Uh-oh, I'm in trouble now. And... Joseph Smith is a prophet. He is? And the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is Jesus Christ's church. Okay. Restored and, again. Okay. Not, re, not redone, restored. How do you know that whatever you, What's your name, Debbie's husband? I'm her, I'm her husband. What's your name? Todd. Todd, how do you know this, and what do you base this restoration on? I like to look at the facts. In the Bible, it said there would be a falling away. They... <clears throat> They, they crucified Jesus, they killed the apostles, and they apostatized. Okay, well, you're talking about a reference where it says there will be a falling away first that's in First Thessalonians, and it's talking about before the son of perdition is revealed. And there will be a falling away before the Antichrist comes. That's the context of that passage. You're using the Bible on me, but you don't even know the context, Todd, Troy. It, said, it, said in, it says in the Bible that before... Before the last days, there will be a falling away first. And that man, the son of perdition, will be revealed. It's talking contextually about when the Antichrist comes. Jesus said, I will establish my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Joseph said, Jesus didn't do it right. Jesus failed in his ability to establish a church. Therefore, I am going to step forward and no. I am going to restore the church. It restored the church directly under the direction of Jesus Christ. Okay, well, all you're doing is spouting your beliefs. Joseph Smith is as much of a prophet as Moses, as Peter, James, and John, as okay. uh, Elijah. Okay. Is just as much a prophet as they were. Okay, Todd, can I ask you a question? Joseph Smith is just as much a prophet okay, as they were. I, I got that from you. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Why, as a prophet who is just like Moses and Elijah and Isaiah, how come Joseph Smith took teenage wives secretly, married them, bedded them down, and didn't tell his wife? Well, that's hearsay. That's what no, 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 no. Now you got a problem. No, now you've a... got a problem, Todd. True. Because it's not hearsay, my friend. It's documented uh, in Sacred Loneliness by Todd Compton, one of your own LDS researchers. Oh, no, Jesus Christ and God the Father appeared to Joseph Smith. Okay. And they, wait, wait, and he... we... Wait, we're not talking about that, but we'll get to that. Tell me, Todd. The instrument in God's hands in restoring the truth. You're just, you're just sharing with me what you believe. How do you explain him hiding teenage brides from his wife? Well, it's, it's not a fact. Okay, well, then you have a problem there. Now let's go, now let's go to your first vision uh, claim, that he saw God the Father in Jesus Christ. How come it wasn't until 1833... 1833, we're talking 
12 years, 13 years later, that the specifics start coming out about this vision that you are claiming he had, and they were very different from what you're saying. Well, Joseph Smith told people about his vision right after he had it, and because no, he, he didn't. was persecuted like crazy. No, he didn't. No, he wasn't. You're just listening to what you've been taught. Even though he was a 14-year-old boy, he was persecuted like crazy. You're just regurgitating what you've been taught. You have not read. And, and this is the sick thing, but I am so glad we have a true believing Mormon here who's come on the air, and I, I, I feel for you. I love you, because you are, you are saying exactly what true believing Mormons will say. And, you know, Todd, I don't blame you, and, and, and your wife, Debbie, I know you're true believing, but the problem is everything you have talked about tonight is an absolute fabrication by your own church. Go to utlm.org and look up those things and call me back next week and say, Sean, if you, you were wrong. If you can honestly read the Book of Mormon. Okay, we're not talking about you're now testing. If you can read the Book Go of Mormon. Go look at your facts, Todd. Pray about it honestly. Okay. I mean, honestly, you'll find out it's true. Todd, I know you believe all this, but let's stick to the facts, okay? Go to the facts about Joseph Smith. You said that wasn't a true thing about his wives. It's oh, true. Oh, he didn't do that. He did do it. You go find out. Go to utlm.org. Well, uh, I, I tell you a fact is. Todd, if you find out that's true, will you then uh, search more? No, I tell you a fact is God did institute polygamy among in the Mormon church for a while. But because the United States outlawed it and uh, uh, the church believes in following the laws of the land, it was outlawed by the Mormon church in, in the late 1800s. Oh, boy. You know, yeah, 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 that's a really nice story, but, you know, they didn't outlaw it. They wanted statehood, and it was against the law well before Joseph instituted it. It's one of the twins of they barbarism. They imprisoned all the leadership of the church because polygamous was practiced. Okay, but let's Mormon. get back to the point. You want uh, That's a side issue, Todd. Your prophet, who you said was likened to Moses, secretly took teenage brides uh, and he kept them hidden from his we wife. we got to go. We've had enough of your nonsense. Goodbye. And the wife took over. All right. Uh, we're going to continue on. We've got a lot of stuff here. This, uh, uh, as a means to validate the income for a person needing assistance for medical uh, care, a bishop was asked to uh, validate that the ward had been helping this person. And, the, and from the Winder 17th branch in the Winder stake, the bishop writes, to whom it may concern. It's, the, it's on the church letterhead. This is a real letter. Blank has been a member of our branch for quite some time. And due to unforeseen circumstances, she's been receiving financial aid from the church for the past six months or so. If necessary, the church will continue to in, assist as long as they preserve their current worthiness. Uh, if, if further information is necessary, feel free to contact me anytime. There's your unconditional love for you, folks. There it is right there. You got to be worthy. You got to do everything they say, and they'll help you out, and that's how it works. 11 days ago, I received this email. You know, how bad is it going to get? It's going to get so bad, I feel like putting my head under the tire of a truck and putting it in drive. I mean, it's just amazing how bad it's getting. Uh, Gail emailed us. Maybe you heard, but my church, Christian Life Center in Layton, hosted Glenn Beck Friday night. Our worship pastor is getting involved in politics and have the Utah Republican something or other folks meet in our buildings. And so they had uh, Glenn Beck come too. Uh, he plugged, quote, Mormons are Christians too from, the, from this stand with a... Uh, 
a local uh, guy running for office and a Mormon who sings Christian songs now, uh, claimed his group were the first Christians to pray on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, plugged the Book of Mormon because of its end time prophecy. And uh, he was stumping for his friend Chris Stewart, another Mormon for uh, senator. Mostly the three Mormons on stage just told us what great guys each other were. On this place was Glenn Beck, Chris Stewart, and a singer named Hillary Weeks. Uh, and they gathered at a place called the Leighton Christian Academy. Well, you know, uh, I called the pastor of the Leighton Christian Church, and I said, what's that about? What's the deal? And he said, uh, it was their deal. We were thrilled to do it because of its bridge building capacities. It's bridge building. That's like saying we're going to use concrete and steel and rebar and we're going to make a bridge with someone who's using straw and clay and glass shards. I mean, what bridge building? What kind of bridge are you trying to build? And so uh, I said, isn't it in conflict with your theological beliefs and positions? And he said, uh, of course it's in conflict with our theological beliefs and positions. He said, Glenn Beck's remarks that are uniquely Mormon would obviously be in conflict with some of our theological positions. In our bridge building, we recognize the need to allow people to be themselves. So what we have here is another evidence of the LDS church getting in with unthinking people. Now, I believe this pastor's heart was right. He wants to do what's good, and I believe he's a true believer. But he thinks that he is somehow doing Christ's work by letting the LDS come in and build bridges with them. It's insane. It's just absolutely insane. And I know I look like a, a, a radical right now, but we're losing it. We're losing it every single time we embrace this thing. And then on the national level, it's one heck of a lot worse. Speaking of the national level, um, the Mormon church condemned comments made by a professor at church on Brigham Young University who appeared to defend the church's past racism. Up until 1978, black men could not be ornate, ordained as priests, a process that begins for all male church members at the age of 12. In an interview with the Washington Post, I know this is old news, of a few weeks old, BYU uh, religion professor Randy Bott said the ban was actually a good thing for black men. The Associated Press writes that he compared African-American men to a young child prematurely asking for the keys to his father's car and explained that by not allowing, by, explained that by not being allowed to climb to the highest rung of the church hierarchy ladder, they were being protected from falling. So in reality, this professor said, the blacks not having the priesthood was the greatest blessing God could give them. Now, you gotta understand something. When there is somebody who speaks from the heart, just like those earlier callers, they really believe this stuff. They have studied it and they share it because this is what the church teaches. The LDS hierarchy, which are the policymakers, the lawyers and the accountants and the ex-CEOs of major corporations sit up there and they say, we gotta do spin doctoring so that the people don't know what the heck's going on. So what did they say when this BYU professor, doctorate of, professor of religion, he knows the religious history and all he did was speak truthfully. This is exactly how Latter-day Saints have always felt that there is a reason for them not having it. This is what the church said in response. Uh, the church position is clear. We believe that all God's children are equal in his eyes and in the church. We do not tolerate racism in any form. 
The positions attributed to BYU professor Randy Bott in the recent Washington Post article absolutely do not re represent the teachings and doctrines of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And he adds, BYU faculty members do not speak for the church. BYU faculty members do not speak for the church. People often say, how come you don't have BYU professors? How come you don't have Bob Millett? How come you don't have Dan Peterson? How come you have this yahoo and that yahoo on here to talk about? We invite them, they won't come, but even if they were here, anything they say will not be held because the LDS guys up there, those accountants and those attorneys, they will spin and they'll say, that's not true, that's not true because their concern is for whole world uh, dominance. They want to infuse their religion, their philosophy into the entire world. And what is happening in the political face today is a sure sign that they're being successful at it. Nothing we can do about it, but you know, that's what's going on. I called Brother Bott this afternoon at uh, 1 p.m. in his office at BYU. I introduced myself. I said, uh, this won't be on the record unless you want it to be. And in the middle of my introductory remarks, Professor Randy Bott said, quote, thanks for calling, but they asked me not to comment, and I'm going to stick with that. And he hung up. Um, so now, for those of you who say, well, you know, maybe uh, Brother Bott was off when it came to racism in the church. Remember, he says, there's, the LDS church hierarchy said there's no teachings in the church. Well, let me give you a couple, okay? Joseph Fielding Smith, 10th prophet of the church. Not only was Cain called upon to suffer, but because of his wickedness, he became the father of an inferior race and they have been despised among all people. The doctrine did not originate with Brigham Young, but was taught by Joseph Smith. That's the founder of this religion. I'm gonna tell you right now, every Latter-day Saint who's my age and older believes that every person whose skin color is not white is here and put in a place like India, Africa, South America, because they were inferior in the pre-existence in their valiancy toward God, and that the white Anglo-Saxons are the choice. And if you're born white and Mormon, you were the best in this pre-existence before coming here. That is the belief of any Mormon, 40 and older, if they were to believe on the things that they were taught as a youth. You wanna continue on? Bruce R. McConkie, when I was a kid, an apostle said, the Negroes are not equal with other races when the receipt of certain spiritual blessings are concerned. As a result of his rebellion, Cain was cursed with a dark skin. He became the father of the Negroes. That is the doctrine up until, and that's Bruce R. McConkie, hailed as the great thinker and theologian, an apostle who receives revelation from the Lord God. You know, and I'm not stopping, Mark E. Peterson, he has horrible things, I'm not gonna even say him. Spencer W. Kimball tied the Indians' dark skin with their righteousness or their, and he was a prophet when I was a kid. So this recent stuff, all it is is spin so that the LDS church will look more, product, more uh, advanced. This is how they uh, couch their response uh, uh, in the newspaper. They said, at some point in time, the church withheld the priesthood from black people. But for the past decades, it hasn't. Hear how that's written? The some point in time was for 170, 148 years of their existence. 148 years, the blacks could not hold the priest. For the past 30, they've been able to. They act like at one point in time, there was this little thing that, you know, we didn't let black men have the priesthood. It's the predominant amount of their history. And only in the past 30 years have they changed that. Okay, we're going to go to uh, Brian on line two. Br Brian. Hello? You're on the air. 
Hi, Brian. You're on the air, Brian. Hey, I am uh, calling just to, uh, you know, I, I, I understand your positions, but the, what you are quoting, McConkie and Smith, and both of the prefaces of those sources indicate that both authors said that they were not speaking on behalf of the church. What were they speaking so, on behalf of? They were their own personal per, uh, positions. The one that you read from McConkie was out of Mormon doctrine. As an apostle, he wrote it? Huh? As an apostle, he wrote it? He did write it as an apostle. And, and he wrote about the LDS Church, and at that time, Mormon doctrine was used by almost every active member as the source for what our doctrine meant. No, no it was not. Oh, really? Never, really? It's the publication of the church, yes. Oh, really? It, it, yes. Who, who published Mormon doctrine? Uh, McConkie did book, book. No, Bookcraft sure. published it. More owned by the LDS Church. Well, just well what? Exactly way A plus B might equal C. Look at the beginning. If you if you study academically, okay, uh, you're telling me to study academically when your own BYU professor of religion laid it out perfectly clear. Religion does not speak for the church, and neither do you. Church understands that. You're, let me tell you something, my friend. You're spinning here. Every active Latter-day Saint my age and older understands clearly that black people have their skin because they were inferior, I'm, because I'm they were inferior in the pre-existence. And furthermore, I'm an educator. I don't care what you are. So was Bot and your church. No, 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 no. Your church refuted Bot. Your church refuted an educator who was a professor. They refuted what he had to say. Are you at that level too? Could you repeat that? You're young, Are you a professor? What's that? Are you a professor of religion at BYU? I'm not, but I do, uh, I do hold a position in education with the church. Help. Yeah, what, CES? Uh, I hold a position in education with Yeah, that's nice and vague. Well, let me tell you something. Bot is a BYU professor of religion, PhD. He spoke the truth of Mormon teachings, and you know it. And all you're doing is spinning on this show because you want to protect your little church. No, no. I, I'm sure you. What kind of degree do you hold? I don't hold any degrees. Well, and that's part of the problem because. Oh, so intelligence get, does it? What What kind of degrees did Jesus hold? I thought. Can I finish my thought? What did Jesus hold? Yeah. The degrees. No, let's stay on this thought. Back up. You're talking about an, an academic professor. No, we're not. Yeah, that's right. We are. Okay, so let, let's back up and just understand something. Okay. Academia does not constitute an official position of the church, nor has it ever, and the church has always maintained that. Academia has to publish because that's part of receiving a Ph.D. Well, who are you going to believe? Bot is entitled, wait, let me finish. Mr. Bot is entitled to any opinion that he would want to that have. That wasn't his opinion. But to speak on the behalf of the church. He didn't. Offer an official church position. He didn't. Must come from the office of the first president. He didn't do that. He never said this is the office. That's what you were doing. No, no, what I said was he taught church doctrine. He taught church. He taught. You were the one who generally. He taught church doctrine, buddy. And now anybody who's LDS knows it. And you're just. The reason I get so angry with you and show no respect to you. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me talk. Let me talk. Let me talk. Let me talk. The reason I show you no respect is because you are not telling the truth. You're obfuscating the truth. And you know it. Well, I, you know, I, I can appreciate your position. I don't appreciate yours. I, give me a break. I can appreciate your position. What else? 
Where's your spine, you loser? Where are the people? I mean, at least earlier we had people call and say, Joseph was the prophet, and they do it in total ignorance. You come on like Satan himself, and you spin and spin and spin. I mean, it's just insane what this church is doing and how many people huh, are buying it hook, line, and sinker. You know, we're going to, we're going to Roy, uh, Joe and Roy. Joe. Hey, Sean, how you doing? I'm hot. Are you? Are you on fire right now? Is this a good time to call? <laughs> Probably not a good time, but go ahead. Hey, I'm actually calling to defend the Mormons a little bit. Uh, I've, been, I've been watching your show. I, I enjoy watching it, and you're pretty entertaining. You usually have good, uh, good arguments, but uh, I just wanted to ask you, why is it that you think that uh, your source of information is any more credible than the claims that the Mormons have? Um, it seems to be that they just simply are the new kids on the block. And Joseph Smith is less believable than, you know, prophets 2,000 years ago because this happened in recent days. Well, Joe, I'm just going to answer your question. Uh, Mormonism, Joseph Smith claimed the Hill Camorra was in New York, that there was a battle of a million plus there with swords and shields and arrows. Uh, there's nothing. <laughs> and it sounds ridiculous because this is... Just let me finish. Just let me finish. Joe, let me finish. Joe, okay, go ahead. All right. You can go back and you can find a Jerusalem, you can find a Bethlehem, you find all kinds of linguistic and genetic and, and archaeological and all kinds of evidence to support everything the Bible says in essence. You find nothing. And so you're comparing apples to, uh, to watermelons here. You're saying that they're one and the same. They are not. Not even close. And so that, there's that, evidence that, that there was a Missouri as well. What's that? There's evidence that there's a Missouri as well. Just because the place is a real place doesn't mean that the uh, story is credible. Yeah, I lost you, your logic lost me on that. Your logic has lost me from the get-go. Because you called and tried to say that Mormonism is just the same thing as biblical Christianity, and the two, in terms of how we establish faith, cannot be compared. There is no comparison. And if you could call me and give me something substantive to say there is comparisons, even one, four, five, I can give you a hundred thousand proofs of the Bible. You cannot give me one archaeological, genetic, linguistic proof of the Book of Mormon. Not one that has been substantiated by modern science. And so there is the problem. We are out of time. Nineteen seconds to go. Dallin, Dallin and Vernal call back uh, next week and we'll talk as we continue to talk about the witnesses next week of the Book of Mormon, the three and the eight, and I'm going to give more quotes on racism, and you tell me if what they practiced was true or not. See you then. Mm -hmm.